0: Man, so excited to be with you in church today, as Pastor Kirk said. My name is Caleb, and I serve as the associate campus pastor here at River Valley Church. And uh, it's an honor to be on this team. I want to share and start by just saying that my wife, Autumn, and I, who's here on the front row, um, we we just crossed our one-year mark being on staff at River Valley Church. We've been here just over a year now. (laughs) And I want to start by saying that this has been a very refreshing and a very healthy and a very joy-filled season for our marriage and for our home and for our two daughters. This has been an incredible season for our family. And I, I want you to know, I want to say this publicly, in honor of our lead pastors, Pastor Rob and Becca Ketterling, I remember as we were praying and processing the potential and the opportunity, God was stirring something in our heart. And as the opportunity came, we were praying and processing. And and through conversation with Pastor Rob, we, we sat down and, and in, in relationship with him, I realized, man, this is one of the most down to earth, humble individuals that as we were meeting, it's like, man, this guy really takes the time to care for me. And I'm not even yet on his staff. And, and I want to say this, I want to say that sometimes you see leaders that from afar, you respect, you admire what they're doing, what they're accomplishing, how God's using them. And sometimes you, you see those leaders, and then you get close to those leaders, And sometimes it's like, oh, man, I I thought it would be different getting close to them. I just want to say that getting closer and closer to our lead pastors, Pastor Rob and Becca, I've only gained my respect, my admiration for the way that they live, for the way that they care about their staff, for the way that they care about you, for the way that they care about this church. And so can we give it up for our lead pastors? They're not in the room right now. We show our appreciation, our respect. And uh, before we jump in, I want to honor our campus pastors, Pastor Kirk and Kaylee. You guys are incredible leaders, and and maybe you're newer to the to the church, and you're like, man, this guy looks a lot like the last guy. Uh, We are related, and so Kirk is my older brother, and uh, I I shared this in transitioning here, but I, I want to encourage you with this that if you're here, a part of this campus, a part of this family, and, and you're ever wondering, like, man, what, what's going on behind the scenes or what is, what is really going on in the hearts of the leaders of, of this campus, this location, I think it says a lot that Pastor Kirk's younger brother, who's seen it all, seen it all, would say, man, I want to come serve this leader because of his integrity, because of his passion, because of his vision. So one more time, can we give it up for our campus pastors? Pastor Kirk and Kaylee, love you. And I mentioned her earlier, but my wife Autumn is here on the front row, and I want to acknowledge you and honor you that you are, I I tell people this sincerely, you are the best person that I know. The way that you love me, the way that you love our girls, and the way that you love people in general, the message that uh, we're going to talk about in just a minute, you live it out day after day after day, and I'm thankful for you, and I love you. One more time, can we give it up for my wife Autumn? (laughs) We're going to jump into a a scripture here in just a minute. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to jump into Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, it's all right. It'll be on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 10. It's a a common story. If you've been in church a while, you might have heard this. If you're new to church, uh, just want to share the context at the front end that this is something that as the church, we talk about a lot. And man, if you know that somebody's talking about something often, usually it's for good reason. That this is a scripture, that this is a text, that we are called as followers of Christ. The the moment that we join this team, that we join this community, there is a way that God wants us to live. And we're going to read about that, Luke chapter 10, reading the parable, the story that Jesus tells called the Good Samaritan. So this is Jesus speaking to a crowd, and in a moment, a, a pause in the action where Jesus is speaking to his followers, the people following him, and there's a break in the action and a man approached, and we'll pick up here in verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. He says, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, uh, Jesus speaking, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And here's where it gets interesting. The man uh, says, Scripture says, desiring to justify himself approaches Jesus and says, and Jesus, just to clarify, who is my neighbor? And in a way that only Jesus can, right? The man asks him a simple question, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't answer directly. He gets to the point by sharing this story. We pick it up. Here, Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and they departed, leaving him half dead on the side of the road. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, catch this, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Now Jesus asked the man, which of these three do you think Proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, now you go and do the same. If you're taking notes, if you're following along, the title of this message is simply how to love your neighbor. How to love your neighbor. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we love you. God, we acknowledge your presence in this place. And God, right now, Regardless of where we find ourselves, maybe this is a scripture we've heard before, maybe we've heard it a lot, and uh, maybe we're hearing it for the very first time. I pray that in a way that only you can do, that you would speak to us, that you would shape us, that you would change us, that you would help us to become more like you. We want everything that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, will you say amen? Amen. Amen. Now, I want to start with a question and maybe this is a relatable question, maybe this is something that you've experienced, that you've processed, but how many of you, by show of hands, you've known that you're supposed to do something, like you know you're supposed to do something, and you just don't get around to it? You ever experienced this feeling, like you know I'm supposed to do this, and then I just didn't get around to it? Right? I know that I'm not alone. I'm gonna share a story here. Just this exact emotion Now in sprint time, uh, we had been doing a lot of projects around our house, and we've been updating a few things here and there, and along the way, Our garage, the place where we've been doing a lot of this construction and cutting wood and doing things that I never thought I'd be doing. Growing up as a kid, I never thought I'd be using saws and like hammers and power. Like we just didn't grow up in that world. And so we've been doing that. And this spring, our garage was a complete disaster. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but maybe some of you can relate. Our garage was a nightmare. Like it was so bad that it was like you, you raise the garage door when you get home and immediately you're like trying to get in and close the garage because it's embarrassing. You don't want your neighbors to see. Holy smokes. They uh, are struggling. Basically how we felt about our garage. And so uh, my wife kindly and gently asked, uh, you know, Caleb, is it possible if we could have the garage cleaned by the end of summer? which in the springtime, how many of you know, she's giving me a long leeway here. Like She, she knows me by now. I got to give this boy a long road. And so he's, by the end of summer, and I said, yes, I'll have that done. That's no problem. That's like four months away. Are you kidding me? That's so much time. We'll have that thing cleaned up, spick and span by the end of summer. No problem. And uh, kindly and gently, a month would go by, a couple weeks would go by, and she would kindly and gently remind me, hey, is it possible to have the garage cleaned by the end of summer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. That's still two months away. We got time. And a few more weeks will go by. And we did this. This sounds crazy now that I'm saying it out loud. And each and every time, I want you to know, with good intention... I would respond saying, yes, I will get it done. I will clean this garage. I'll get it cleaned out and reorganized. Everything I'm saying to her, every time I'm responding to what she's asking me to do with good faith and good intention, I'm saying, yes, I will do it. Well, wouldn't you know, it didn't happen. So September 1st, we had to put it on our calendar on our refrigerator. We had to schedule somebody to come and watch the girl so that she could help me clean the garage. You know, sometimes, sometimes I think this is how we live our Christian faith. Sometimes I think if we hang around church long enough, we hear things that we know we're supposed to do. Or we hear messages that's like, oh yeah, maybe I've heard this scripture before. Maybe I've read this in my own quiet time. Maybe this is a principle, man, loving your neighbor. I know that that's something that I should do. Yes, I've heard this before. The question is, is that thought full of good intention or is it backed up with action? You know, so often I think in our lives, we get lulled into a passive lifestyle, just, just protecting ourselves, watching out for self. And we need to be reminded every once in a while that God doesn't just want our good intentions, that God actually invites us to live out right actions day after day after day. You and I need to be reminded today that wherever we find ourselves, you are called to love your neighbor. You and I, we're all called to love our neighbor. And this is what God invites us into. And what I find so interesting in this topic is that sometimes we think, oh, yeah, loving, loving my neighbor is easy. I know how to love my neighbor. And, and maybe you get along well with the people who live next door to you. And, and maybe you have a great friendship, a great connection. And maybe you think it's easy because whenever they need something, they let you know. And it fits right into your schedule. And it never interrupts you. It never causes an inconvenience. You have, you have this relationship. So as I'm talking about helping your neighbor, you're like, oh, yeah. We do that all the time. We have good intentions and right actions. But how many of you know it's difficult to love your neighbor if you don't really like your neighbor? You're like, oh, man, these guys again. Oh. You and I, we're called to love love our neighbor. And so the man asked, who is my neighbor? He asked this question, who is my neighbor? And we're going to get into uh, looking at some of the characters and why he would have asked that question in a way to justify himself. But it's the same question that you and I must ask ourselves today. One, who is my neighbor? But how do I love my neighbor? What does it look like for me to live this thing out? What does it look like for me personally, individually to go beyond having good intentions to go from, from, from going, Pastor, that sounds good. And I agree we should do that to actually thinking and depositing and determining in our heart today that there's somebody that you need to love. That there's somebody right now as I'm sharing, you're thinking, oh, and maybe it is your literal neighbor who lives across the street or lives next door. But maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody in your life you're feeling right now in your heart and your spirit. Man, I haven't been doing a good job loving my neighbor. Today is your day. Today is a, an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and live the way that he calls us and invites us to live. And the reason I'm passionate about this thought of the church living it out not just having good intentions, but actually living it out, As can you imagine the world that we live in today, a world that seems more divided than ever, like, man, it doesn't matter what you say, somebody's going to be upset about what you say, so it's easier to just stand on the sideline and watch it happen. You and I, we get to be a part of the family of God. He actually calls us to be a part of His family. And His family is one that is living and active and moving. That means that we have a part to play in this thing. So that means every moment that we feel like we should maybe take a step back and just watch and observe, we need to pray in our heart and sense, man, what is God actually inviting me to do? How is He inviting me to be a part of the solution? How is he inviting me or asking me to love somebody else to make a difference in their life? You see, there are many people hurting in the world today. And can you imagine just for a moment what it would look like if every single person found themselves in the family of God, lived this way, willing to be inconvenienced, willing to put their priorities second, willing to serve somebody else's need, even if it means your schedule is off track. What the world might look like if the church did this. God desires our right actions more than he desires our good intentions. It's interesting, uh, as we're looking at a few of the characters here, it's interesting to observe their perspective. You know, as we read scripture, it's healthy for us to kind of put ourselves in the story and and feel what the characters might have been feeling. And I love that First, we read about this lawyer who approaches Jesus, and in a justified way, he says, Who is my neighbor? Why does he ask that question? in almost like a seemingly puffed up way. Like what, what is happening here? Context is that because he's a lawyer, he would have understand the way to live. He would have known the good intentions. He would have known historically in the Old Testament that there was a system, that there was a way of living, that the Jewish people were the people of God. And so when he asks justifiably, who is my neighbor? He, he, because of his job, because of what he does, he's used to settling rights and wrongs. He's used to understanding when people have an offense against one another, and he's used to coming in and helping settle the score. He's somebody who knows how to keep the score, and so in a justified way, he says, who, who is my neighbor? Almost as if to say in front of all of these people that, man, these people, they don't understand how to take care of their neighbor because myself as a lawyer, you wouldn't understand the cases that I've been taking on for free, that I've been doing pro bono, That. I'm not even getting paid for it. You wouldn't believe the way that I settle scores between people. You wouldn't believe as he's asking this question, it's almost preloaded, letting the people know that they're falling short. And Jesus reminds the lawyer that, man, I'm coming to set a new way of living. The old boundaries, the old parameters, the old way of doing things is no more. There's a new way to live. And now this family of God is open to anybody and everybody. You know, historically, they would have literally thought that my neighbor is just my fellow Jew. And and we're reading about a Samaritan in this story. And a Samaritan in in what's referred to, they they would have, Jewish people would have seen the Samaritan people as less than, as a half breed, as a mixed breed, as a mixed race. That that the Samaritan people, they are outcasts. So the idea that I would take care of my neighbor is like a fellow Jewish person. And Jesus intentionally writes about a Samaritan to shake this lawyer from his way of thinking. As much as he feels justified, he needs to be reminded of how he's called to live, that there are no boundaries to how we are called to love each and every person around us. Loving our neighbor means loving everybody all the time. Everybody all the time. Now, wow, that's... That's a task. Just, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, it's real simple. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love everybody all the time. That's it. And you got it. It's like, how do I do that? Like, I'm just trying to keep it together right now. I got two young kids. That feels feels like too much. And Jesus has this way of communicating to people then and it's the same way that God works in our lives now. He invites us on a journey to process of what does it take for us to get to the end of ourselves, the end of our ability, the end of our skill set, the end of our resource, the end of our talent to acknowledge, God, I need help. If I'm gonna even love you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, I'm gonna need you to help me do that. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Like you're hearing this message and you're like, well, what about what I'm going through? What about what I'm facing? I want to encourage you, friend, that God sees you, that you're here for a reason, that God is the ultimate lifter of our heads and he wants to remind us of how he operates. That even in the midst of our pain and our struggle, he comes to us, he draws near to us and he lifts our head and he sets us on a straight path. And so how do we love our neighbor? How do we love our neighbor? How do we do this? Number one, you and I, we have to welcome interruptions. Welcome interruptions, and that's that. Whew, that again sounds good. Yeah. Oh yeah. If I'm going to help somebody, it's going to mean that I, I'm going to have to welcome interruptions. That's a wake up call for me, and maybe it is for you as well. That there are going to be moments in your life, moments in your day. Maybe you're sitting here right now, like, okay, love my neighbor, love everybody all the time, and you're and and it's hard to put a, a, a face to that that uh, description, maybe it's like, I don't even know what that means. You need to understand that it first begins with awareness that loving your neighbor, it starts with actually being aware of who you are and who God has placed around you. If you're gonna care for people, you gotta welcome interruptions because oftentimes the messes of life are unplanned and unscheduled. Welcome interruptions in your schedule, but also welcome interruptions in your perspective. Knowing that here and now, today might be a day that God is trying to change your perspective. It's an interruption that he's bringing to you. He's wanting to shift something in how you think, how you act, how you treat people. But are we welcoming the interruption? We're saying, ah, that feels uncomfortable. I don't know if I'm open to that. You and I, if we're going to love our neighbor, how do we love our neighbor? Number one, we welcome interruptions. Number two, we live with compassion. You and I, if we're called to love our neighbor, how do we do it? We live with compassion. And I love that. I love that because the verbiage is intentional. That word compassion, it it actually means to act, to respond, to do something. And you and I, we live in a world, and, and maybe you relate to this, but I feel it all the time that you and I were inundated with bad news. Difficult things that people are facing, difficult things that are happening in the world. And sometimes it's so overwhelming, the amount of bad news, that all I can muster is a little bit of empathy. Oh, man, that's, oh, that's terrible. Oh that's, oh, that's terrible. All the time, bad news. Everywhere you look, bad news. You and I, if we're going to really love our neighbor, it means that empathy is no longer good enough. That you and I, were actually called to live with compassion, which means we do something about the bad news that we see all around us. Even if that means simply putting into action your prayer life. Even if it means that it's stuff that you're seeing that you have no control over and be reminded, friend, that you have access to an almighty, all-powerful, miracle-working God who in the midst of impossible situations, you have an opportunity to pray. Too often I think we think, oh, all I can do is pray. No, 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 that's our first response. That's not our last resort. Our first response is to pray, believing that God can do more than we could ever do on our own. So maybe compassion for you just looks like praying a little bit more, being a little bit more intentional with your prayer life, how you're praying, how you're thinking. Maybe it's about praying for more than just yourself. It's difficult, Uh, I've heard this quote said before, it's difficult to hate somebody or to keep somebody at arm's distance if you're praying for them all the time. So maybe there's some relationships in your life that it's like, man, I... This is the perspective change that I need, that I'm gonna start praying for that individual who's the difficult person in your life to love. So you and I, how do we love our neighbor? We gotta live with compassion. Last thought is this, how do we love our neighbor? You and I, we gotta remember where we started. We gotta remember where we started. You know, so often we read scripture and, at least for me, this is sometimes how I read scripture. I read it and I, I think about putting myself as like the main character, right? So I'm reading the story and it's all about how do I become like the good Samaritan, right? And that's what we're talking about. How do I love my neighbor? Doing what the good Samaritan did. He had compassion. He went to the man, he helped them. He picked him up, put him on his donkey, took care of him, spent money. He got his hands dirty. Man, that's, I want to live like the good Samaritan. Sometimes we forget that you and I, before we become like the good Samaritan, we all find ourselves like the man, beaten on the side of the road, broken, hurting, lost. And isn't it interesting that at the end of the story, I love this about Jesus, he drives the point home by asking the lawyer, now, okay, I told you this story, who was the one who acted like a neighbor? And how he drives the point home is he forces this lawyer Who would have seen the Samaritan as the outcast of society, as the one who would be most difficult to help or acknowledge or go to because the Levite and the priest, the people who ran the church, who helped facilitate these spiritual environments, they passed by on the other side. The Samaritan, the outcast, who was the one who was the neighbor? As if to say to the lawyer, hey, if that were you, who would you want to walk by? Would you want the priest to walk by and see you in your brokenness and your mess and your hurting and walk by on the other side? Would you want the Levite who's responsible for playing music and creating these awesome environments who passes by on the other side? Or would you want the outcast, the one you've hated, the one you've held at arm's length? Who would you want to walk by? And it drives the point home to us today that you and I all have an obligation That maybe in areas of our lives where we have had a difficult time loving somebody else, maybe it's a difficult time being a neighbor to somebody else. We all have relationships in our life that are difficult. And yet, God calls us to make a difference in the world. And so, who is it for you today? How are you gonna lean into the interruptions of life? How are you gonna create that space in your schedule and your perspective? And how are you gonna live with compassion? What are you gonna do differently leaving this place today? And lastly, how can you remind yourself, where were you when God found you? You know, so often in life, that's our our faith story. You hear somebody's faith story and it starts with, this is when I found Jesus. You know, it's important to remember that God found us, that God sent his one and only son for us, that it was our sin, it was our humanity, it was our brokenness that left us hurting and broken on the side of the road, helpless. And yet Jesus came to us and he saved us. And maybe today that's you. Maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've never acknowledged Jesus as your savior. Maybe you've, you, you resonate with feeling hurt and maybe life has chewed you up and spit you out a dozen times. And you find yourself maybe emotionally, maybe physically in a place where you feel beaten and left half dead on the side of the road. I want you to know that Jesus sees you. He's the one who comes to us, who lifts our head, who heals our wounds, as Pastor Greg was sharing earlier today. He's the one who comes to us and saves us and redeems us and fills us with life and fills us with purpose. And today you can make that decision. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here, you've never made that decision before. This moment is for you. Maybe you feel it in your heart. You feel it in your spirit. You feel like, oh man, this this is my moment. I don't even know exactly what it is, but something's happening on the inside of you. You're saying, today's my day. I got to give my life to Jesus. I need to acknowledge him as the one who saved me, redeems me, and puts me on a right path. Before I can love my neighbor, I need to understand how much God loved me. If that's you today, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in the air. Nobody's looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, moment of privacy between you and God. You're saying, man, my sin, you're acknowledging my sin has separated me from God and today I need to receive the free gift of salvation. Maybe something you've never done before. Maybe something you did years ago and you've drifted and wandered and you know that today is your day. Today is the day you give your life to Jesus. If that's you, don't wait a moment. One, two, three, hands up. Just looking across the room. Yes, yes, yes. incredible, best decision you can ever make, best decision you can ever make with your life. Handful of people raising their lives, saying they're giving their life to Jesus. That's the confession. You're acknowledging your need for a savior. You're believing in your heart right now. And now we're going to confess together out loud. Everyone in the room, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, say, dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've fallen short. God, please forgive me. Today I receive your gift, the free gift of salvation that only you can offer. Today I give you my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those making that decision? Three hands today, acknowledging Jesus. Come on, let's stand to our feet and celebrate together.